Amen. If you would, grab your Bibles, open up to Titus chapter 1. If you don't have a print Bible, that's okay. There are hardback blue Bibles all throughout the room. If you see one near you, would you just pass it down the aisle for somebody else that may need it? I'd love for everybody to remain standing. We're looking at Titus chapter 1 if you can. Uh, that's okay. If you didn't know that, don't worry about it. It's all good. We're looking at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 16. If you have a blue hardback Bible, it's page 1,184. So that's page 1,000. 184. We're looking at Titus chapter 1. If you're just joining us, we're going through a short series, a four-week series on the book of Titus, which is Paul's letter to a young pastor named Titus, who is pastoring on the island of Crete. So we're looking at verses 5 through 16 in chapter 1, page 1,184. A Christian, hear the word of God to you this morning. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing's pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Christian, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Christian, this is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep your Bible open as we pray to begin our study on Titus. Let's pray. Father, would you give us ears to hear your Word hands to apply it, a heart to love it. Would you give us the mind of Christ? Would we cling to your word even as he clung to your word when he died on the cross for us? And Father, would we be people of the word? Would we cling to the trustworthy word as it has been taught to us by Jesus himself, who is the word made flesh? In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Now I want you to imagine it. Uh, You are now a part of an exciting new church Uh, People are coming to faith in Jesus left and right. It is very, very exciting. And all kinds of people all over your city are all of a sudden open to hearing about Jesus Christ as Lord. And a very unique, diverse group of people are amassing and studying God's word together, learning about him, being baptized into his name. It's very exciting to be a part of this. And as an expression of what it means to be a Christian, to be a little Christ, Your congregation has decided that we need to take care of the poor among us. 
And so what your exciting church does is they decide to come up with a soup kitchen of sorts, sort of a food pantry, so that widows, you know, women who are not eligible for a state welfare program because it doesn't exist where you live, who have no hope that their husbands will provide food, we need to provide for them daily for their food. And so what do you do? You donate food so that the poor may have food among us. But then one day around the coffee pot at church, a woman shares something with you. Yes, I, I, I go to the daily distribution. My husband has died, and yes, I am in need. But did you know that certain women get more food than the others? And I think it's because I talk differently than they do. You see, early in the church, in Acts chapter 6, this very thing happens to an exciting, growing church. It's the church in Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 6. And what happens as people are coming to faith and the church is multiplying and growing is that in the daily distribution of food, Greek-speaking women, women who don't sound like they're from around here, I don't know how y'all would say that, that's how I would have said it. You know, they're from California, right? Yeah. Too soon, too close, too close to the chest, sorry. The Greek-speaking women, they're neglected. They get less food. The Hebrew-speaking women, the, the women that we like, that we, you know, they associate with us a little bit better, they get more food. And so the congregation brings this to the leaders. And do you know how the apostles and the elders of the church in Jerusalem solve this problem? It's fascinating. And what the leaders of the church in Jerusalem do is the spiritual leaders listen to this problem. You know what they say? They say, we don't have time to work in the soup kitchen. We are called to the ministry of the word. And we are called to the ministry of prayer. But we need to deal with this. We are therefore going to give you a standard what to look for in certain people. And you, the congregation, will select people, men, that you think can fulfill this obligation. And so the apostles and the elders get together and say, we'll find men of good reputation, full of the wisdom and full of the spirit, and give them this responsibility. And what the congregation does is they get together and they select seven people to do this very job. And what is important for you to grasp, Christian, and what's important for us as a local expression of God's church, is leadership is not selected from the top down. What the spiritual leaders do, what the apostles, what the elders do in Jerusalem is they say, here is the standard for what to look for in church leadership. And you, the congregation, you select the leadership. Here's the standard. You put forward people and we will ordain them for this ministry. And you know what's really beautiful about Acts chapter 6? Is every one of the people selected to deal with this problem were all Greek-speaking people. You see, when God's people are given God's word, they fulfill God's will. We have to trust that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And if we abide by his word, something beautiful can happen among us. And that's how the early church started establishing leadership. You see, in Acts chapter 6, we learn about the establishment of deacons. They're not spiritual leaders. They're not teaching, right? Remember the apostles, the elders say, we are here for the teaching of God's word, for the ministry of prayer. We need people to help us, so establish deacons. 
And in the New Testament, like in 1 Timothy, what we find is Paul says, here's what to look for in deacons, and here is now what to look for in elders. And that's exactly what's happening here in Titus chapter 1. Paul has left young Titus on an island of Crete. And you know what they called Crete in the ancient world? It was the island of a thousand cities. Probably hyperbolic, right? I don't know many islands that have a thousand cities. You know, the Cretans were a little proud, right? And so they like to think they had all these communities. But what Paul says is he says, as you go around and you establish churches, I want every community to have a gospel presence. Every person in this world needs to know Jesus loves them, that he died for them, that he offers salvation in his name alone. And every community on the island of Crete needs to hear that. And what we need to do is we need to get organized, right? We can't have just disorder. So what he tells Titus is he says, look in verse 5. He says, Titus, this is why I left you on the island of Crete, so that you may put what remains into order. You can get organized. Um, anyone here a dentist? I love the word he uses. He uses this word, he says, adipa ortho. Ortho is in the Greek word. Anyone ever been to the orthodontist? What does he do? He sets your teeth in order. That's where we get the word orthodontist. So what he says is we got to put some things into order. So what kind of establishment does the church need? Well, Paul tells Titus. He says every community is to have what? Look at verse 5. Every community is to have elders. And that's plural. And what that tells us is each local congregation was to have multiple spiritual leaders. Not people who are just going to, you know, turn the lights off and on, but spiritually minded, spiritually mature people who will discern the mind of Christ, who will be about the ministry of word, that will be about the ministry of prayer, and they will spiritually lead us. And Paul says, Titus, buddy, that's what you need to go do. Put it into order. Get these churches established. And here, here's the standard for what to look for and let the congregations put for their leaders. How is, how is Titus supposed to know who the most spiritually mature people are in a thousand communities? He can't. But the people know, congregations know who are the spiritually mature, don't we? And so what we see, friends, uh, is this is how the church is to find leadership. God's word gives us a standard, and we as God's people are to put forward each other, right, those among us who are spiritually mature and say those are the ones who are supposed to lead us. And it's important right there that you notice that the word elder is not singular. Um, the New Testament does not conceive of a church where there is one person in charge of everything. In fact, what we see is a plurality of leadership, shared leadership. There is a group of elders who together exercise authority and lead the church and lead them to Jesus, right? This is why at our church, you know, last week I said we're all Christians, but our church is Presbyterian. Now, the reason I said the church is Presbyterian is because that's a reference to how our church finds leadership. We do not have a presiding bishop who sends leaders. What we have is a congregation who put forward spiritual leaders Elders who lead collectively the direction of our church. The Greek word for elder, right there in verse 5, when he says appoint elders, is he, you know, literally in Greek he says appoint presbyteros, appoint presbyters, which is why we call ourselves a Presbyterian church, because we are led by what? Elders. We're not led by a single pastor. As much as you may want me to be the CEO, 
or as much as you may fear. <laughs> I will become the CEO and the megalomaniac of J. Velprez. Um, friends, this is a mechanism to share leadership, to collectively lead people to Jesus. That's what elders are called to do. Now, I'm not going to preach on this, but you do need to know one of the unique things about our church uh, that may be different than other churches you've been a part of is we um, gladly put forward both men and women into that group of elders. Now, some Christians feel really comfortable with that, and you think, well, of course, women are capable of everything men can do, and then some of you really cringe at that. But friends, what I want to suggest to you is there are God-loving, Bible-believing people who disagree on this issue. And so we see the women of our church as an asset. And also when you read the New Testament, you'll find that there are actually a lot of women who seem to exercise some level of teaching and authority. There is Phoebe in Romans 16, who she's literally called a deaconess in Greek. We also see women like Priscilla, who teaches Apollos. We see the prophet Anna, who blesses baby Jesus. We see in the Old Testament, um, Deborah is a prophetess. She's also a judge. We see Huldah, who's a prophetess. And so um, I don't want to belabor the point. If you have questions about that, if you feel really strongly about women elders or you feel really strongly that men should only be the elders, um, I'd love to uh, uh, you know, talk to you about this. My email um, is right there in the bulletin. Email me and we can talk about it. Um, I'd love to. This is the benefit of not being at you know, a megachurch because I get to shepherd sheep and not herd cattle. <laughs> you, know? you can reach me. My email is right there. And guess what? I have time for you. And I love you, and you can ask questions, and, uh, you know, this is one of those areas of potential tension in the church, but what are we going to do? Uh, well, what I want to suggest to you, um, regardless of where you fall on this issue, um, what Paul is talking about in Titus, right here, what we are supposed to glean is he says, this is what elders are to do, and this is what they are to be. And he really summarizes it very simply, spiritually mature spiritually mature, solid theologically. That's what we're to look for. Solid theology. They cling to the trustworthy word as taught. And they are spiritually mature. So let's dive in. What are these above reproach, these sort of blameless elders, right? Well, notice right there in verse 6, he says, if anyone is above reproach, meaning there's nothing really egregious about your lifestyle, here are the further qualifications for what to look for. And the first thing he goes is he talks about the family life of an elder. And the first thing he says is he says right there, the husband of one wife. Now, you may uh, know this already, but if not, in Greek, he literally says a one-womaned man. He says, of one woman, a man. And so the question then is, well, what does Paul mean by that? And to summarize, what Paul is suggesting is he's not necessarily saying someone who's been remarried is disqualified or someone without a wife is disqualified. What he's saying is, is the elder faithful to their spouse? Are they an example to the congregation? Do you respect their marriage? Is he a one-womaned man? Or does he have a mistress on the side? Because if he does, that's an immediate disqualification. Is he faithful to his wife with what he looks at on the internet? Is he a one-womaned man? Um, this is not meant to be taken hyper-literally, right? You can't say, well, he has to be a man with a wife, because if you take it hyper-literally, then Jesus and Paul could not be elders of the church, because they were both single, and they didn't have wives, right? 
So Paul's not talking you have to be a husband with children, right? He's not saying you have to have a wife. What he's saying is, are you faithful to your spouse? It's a character reference. Are you, is this a person of one wife? Or is he around town? Well, he'd say that's one of the marks of a leader in the church, is that the primary place a spiritual leader leads is where? It's in the home. It's in the home, Right? Does this person love? Are they faithful to their spouse? Do you, would you want a marriage like theirs? That's something to look for. He goes on, and now he talks about the children, right? Not that they're literally supposed to have kids, because, you know, Jesus and Paul don't have kids. But if they have kids, does the elder have anything to do with those children? Or are they so busy with the church that the kids are just living wild and crazy? Right? Listen to what he says. He says, his children are believers. Your Bible may have a little asterisk next to it. Because in Greek, that word could also mean they're faithful, meaning more in terms of they're obedient. Uh, But it could also mean that they want somebody who's led their kids well, their kids love the Lord. And he goes on, he says, the kids, they can't be, you know, um, running around acting wild and crazy. And it's not that you and I can, you know, guarantee what our kids do, right? Paul understands that. What Paul is saying, though, is does this person devote time to loving and leading their family well? Does this person love, do they make time to invest in their kids? Does this person talk to their children about the Lord? Does this person talk to their children about the gospel? You know, there's no guarantees in life, but would you respect the way that they parented? Now, it's quick to, you know, remember this too. You know, Paul, you know, when we get to this kind of description, it can kind of feel like Paul's expecting elders to be sinless, you know, (laughs) and to be perfect. Paul's not talking at the level of perfection, Paul knows people are sinners in need of grace. But he's saying when it comes to spiritual leadership, we need to find people who are spiritually mature, who, who, are, who love their kids, who are devoted to their wives, who are devoted to their kids, that they don't forsake the church, for the, for, or they don't forsake their kids for the sake of the church, right? Um, think about it this way. Um, I think a lot of Billy Graham, um, you know, and, and that's part of the reason why, you know, I got this verse printed on the the pulpit right here, Sir, we wish to see Jesus, uh, because in Graham Chapel, that's what the pulpit says. And uh, everybody thinks a lot of Billy Graham just about, right? Um, But did you know he actually wrote about his regrets uh, before he died? Um, Late in his life, um, you can find this on the Billy Graham website, Um, he has a whole section on, on his regrets, um, you, know, he, he, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, you know, just so you know, he's almost always regarded as the most admired man in, a, in, in American history for the 20th century, right? Uh, but listen to what Billy says his, his number one regret is. This is pretty profound. Although I have much to be grateful for as I look back over my life, I also have many regrets. I have failed many times, and I would do many things differently. For one thing, I would speak less and study more. But I wish I would have spent more time with my family. Were all these engagements necessary? I doubt it. Every day that I was absent with my family is gone forever. You see, that's the heart of a spiritual leader. Somebody who knows that their calling is to their family first, church second. That doesn't mean you give up on the church or you use your family as an excuse not to lead, right? But those who love and lead their family well, they're the ones that we are to follow. 
right? They are the exemplars. They're not perfect. There are no guarantees in life, but are those the people that you respect spiritually? You know, elders are the people you want next to you around the hospital bed. Let's keep going. Look at verse 7. And notice then that he uses a different word right now, and this is kind of an important point. Uh, Not to belabor it, but I do think this is important for you to understand. Look at verse 7. He says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. And he's repeating his point, right? They've got to be good examples to the Christians around them. But notice that he calls the elders a different term. What does he call them in verse 7? He calls them overseers. If you have the King James and the New King James, it says the word bishop. And what some Christians have taken this to mean is that there are some people who are like super pastors, kind of like governors, and they're the bishops. And then beneath them, you have the elders. And then maybe there's another group of people called stewards, or there's pastors. But notice in Titus chapter 1 that he's using these words interchangeably. In verse 5, he calls them an elder. In verse 7, he says they're a bishop. And then he calls them a steward. And so if you study First and Second Timothy and Titus, what you'll find is that in the early church, there were only really two groups of leaders. There are elders who are spiritual leaders, and then there were deacons who dealt with the physical needs of people. Elders addressed the spiritual need. Deacons addressed the physical needs. And just so you know, I'm technically an elder. I would be in this category along with all of the volunteer non-paid elders that our congregation elects into leadership every year because we're trying to fulfill these passages. So notice there that elder is also the same word as overseer, which is also the same word as steward. And don't let that trip you up. Don't get you know, bogged down in how that's confusing. Um, think about it this way. What, what title could you call me? You could call me a pastor, Right? What else could you call me? What other title could I bear? Um, you call me a teacher. You could call me a clergyman. You could call me a minister, right? Because I administer the sacraments, right? Pastor, preacher. You know, we understand all those titles are really just referring to different aspects of my job, right? I'm a preacher to the extent that I preach God's word. I'm a pastor in the sense that I pastor people. I'm a, I'm a minister to the extent that I administer the sacraments. But you all intuitively know, well, he's, all, he's referring to these spiritual leaders. Well, what I would suggest to you to do a study on is you actually find that bishop, elder, pastor, teacher, these are all referring to the same categories, in fact, it's really profound. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter, Peter, the rock of the church, he says, I appeal to you, elders, as a fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So that's why our church is organized in the way that it is. We have spiritual leaders as elders, the spiritually mature among us, and we have deacons who help the physical needs of our congregation. So we're starting to get a glimpse of the spiritual life, the spiritual maturity that elders need. And verse 7 gives us more, right? He gives us some negatives, and then he gives us the positives, right? Um, They can't be given to much wine. They can't be, you know, a drunkard. They can't be quick-tempered or arrogant. You know, I know it's really hard to imagine an arrogant pastor, but just try as hard as you can, and maybe it'll happen. It actually says they're, they're self-turned. They're turned in on themselves. They, they please themselves, right? They're self-centered. They're arrogant. He says that, that is not what to look for in spiritual maturity. Um, don't you love also that 
a slave or a free person, a Jew or a Greek, can fulfill all these requirements. He doesn't say elders are the wealthiest among us. They are uh, the Jewish ones, not the Gentile ones. They're the ones with the respectable jobs. They're the ones with all the degrees. That's not what Paul says at all. What does he say? He says, look for spiritual maturity. Look for somebody who leads their family well. Look for somebody who's self-controlled. They're upright. You respect their lifestyle. They're not going to lash out at you. They're not a bully. They're not quick-tempered. They're not arrogant. He goes on in verse 8, and he says, well, here's what they would do in place of that. They're hospitable. They open up their home to people. They break bread with people. They open up their lives. They make time for you. They're hospitable. Don't you love hospitable people? (laughs) They love what's good. They don't just do it. They love it. They have a a genuine love for what God loves. They have self-control. You know, you don't have to worry they're going to bite your head off if you question one of their decisions, right? They're upright. They're holy. They're self-disciplined. They're examples. You know, they're spiritually mature, right? And now look at verse 9. So we've looked at the spiritual maturity, the life of somebody who loves the gospel, shaped by grace, lives out of the grace of God. And then he says, now they've got to be able to understand the trustworthy word. They've got to know God's word. Um, Jesus warns that as soon as he's gone, false teachers will enter into the church. Um, I know that sounds really weird to some of you, but just you know, turn on the television and listen to a televangelist for about five minutes telling you that a napkin can heal whatever's wrong with you if you just give them a little bit more money, and you'll have experienced false teaching. And it plagued the early church, and it plagues us today, which is why elders need to be people of the word, because we have to be able to know what's true, and what do we need to say? That's wrong. Stop saying that. Elders need to have a little bit of a, you know, backbone, <laughs> to stand up for God's word. We need to be able to do things like say God's word condemns white supremacy. That is false teaching. You know, because they claim, they claim to speak on behalf of us, many of us. We need to be able to say that's not the trustworthy word. Jesus has died for all Jews and Gentiles. And by the way, we're all Gentiles, so what are you talking about? At least most of us are. Some of you may be Jewish, but I'm not. See, this is the other side of elders. There's the spiritual maturity, but there's this devotion to God's word. And notice the problem in the early church on Crete. What's the problem? Well, there's people who are entering the church and they're upsetting whole families. You know, don't you hate it when there's false teaching in the church? I mean, families leave, they get their feelings hurt. And, you know, know, what keeps somebody healthy is avoiding unhealthy people, right? That's what makes you healthy. You avoid unhealthy people. So if elders do not protect the flock, what happens is unhealthy people enter. And all the healthy people go away. What does Paul say? He says, defend the word of God. Stand for the word. It is the trustworthy word. It is Jesus' word to us, whether the culture likes it or not. Love people. Be compassionate. Don't be argumentative about it. But love people and cling to the word. You know, in verse 10, Paul says there are going to be people who, they're, they're empty speakers, right? They get up and they'll teach on, you know, on behalf of Jesus or on behalf of the church, and they just say nothing. <laughs> they say they've got, they've got nothing to say. They don't talk about taking up your cross. They don't talk about repentance. They don't talk about the gospel. They, they may sound good, but they've got nothing to offer. He says, avoid those people. They're, they're not meant for church leadership, right? That's why he makes that point in verse 16. They're unfit. Don't put them in leadership if they can't preach the gospel, 
And of course, you know, Paul, you know, says, he's like, I'm not criticizing Cretans. I'll let, you know, other Cretans criticize themselves, which is where he gets that little quote from Epimenides of Crete right there. Uh, But friends, you know, all driving this passage, right, is we are to look for, not for perfect people, uh, we're here to look for people who have spiritual maturity. And then we're here to look for people who cling to the trustworthy word as taught. So what is that trustworthy word? Let me just finish with this. Now look at verse 9. You know, it says, elders must hold firm to what? The trustworthy word. And if you're the kind of person to underline in your Bible, that'd be a great word to underline real fast. It says, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And what is the trustworthy word? What is the trustworthy message? Well, Paul uses that same phrase in chapter 3. And he's going to tell us what the trustworthy word is that we are supposed to follow. Look at chapter 3. This is the trustworthy... Hang on. I can feel y'all. Hang on. Love God's word. You ready? Everybody turn into Titus 3. This is the trustworthy word. Look at Titus chapter 3. For we ourselves, every one of us, everybody in this room, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works we've done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of renewal and regeneration in the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we may be justified, made right by His grace. And so become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is what? Trustworthy. We summarize the gospel at this church in a really simple way. And we're quoting from a guy named Jack Miller. And the gospel friend is simply this message. Cheer up. You're worse than you think. (laughs) And cheer up. I'm worse than I think. But guess what? Cheer up. You are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than you even dare imagine. You and I are worse than we think, but praise God, we are loved and accepted through faith in Jesus more than we can even imagine. God looks at you and he loves you in Christ. He has washed you through the baptism. He has washed you with the Holy Spirit. You have been made clean. And it's not because you and I are righteous or we have done good things. We've done it only through faith in Jesus, through his grace. He is bringing all kinds of people together. And this is the message that we are to cling to. Uh, Friends, this is the trustworthy word. Uh, Friends, this is what we're to look for in spiritual leadership. So let me just sort of finish with this. Thus endeth the preaching of God's word. Here comes the in-house discussion real fast. So remember when I told you to hold on to these things, thank you for not throwing them away. Uh, What I want to ask everybody in the church to do... um, is I want you to take these home and actually go home and pray about these passages, do some studying, Google this. And what I want you to do, um, and what we're going to be doing as a congregation over the next few weeks, is we're actually going to be taking these forms, and we're going to be actually asking you to nominate potential leaders in the church. You can find out about deacons and what to look for, who you think would maybe make a great deacon, and then who you think would maybe make a great elder. And you're not putting forward perfect people. Nobody has it all together. And so what's going to happen is if you think of there are some people with real leadership potential, 
in the church, leadership potential, people you think that, yeah, I think they would make a great leader, nominate them. And then a group of members from the church called the nominating committee. Don't you love Presbyterians who have a committee for everything? There's a nominating committee made up of members, and those members contact everybody on these little slips of paper, and they'll say, Do you, are you willing to serve in leadership? And if they say yes, Pastor Richard and I are going to train them in leadership between the services all fall long. And then in December, the nominating committee will then put forward a new ballot and say, these are going to be the new elders and deacons. The congregation identifies them as spiritual uh, maturity and as potential leaders. The pastors have trained them in solid doctrine and teaching, and now we are going to ordain them or, or bring them back to serve on session and spiritually lead us. So take these home, please. Don't throw them away. Read through them, pray about them, and put forward people. And then the last thing I'll say about this is just um, there's some people who want leadership in the church, right? And it's always kind of a red flag, right? You're like, whoa, okay, uh, do you just want the authority? Is that what you're looking for? Um, and so that makes you a little nervous. But there's also a back current of people who say, well, no, I don't want to serve because uh, I don't meet those standards or, you know, like, I don't know, I don't want to give up time. But uh, friends, remember, Paul started off the letter of Titus and he says, I am Paul, a servant of God. I am here to do what God has told me to do. Like, I'm here, I'm a servant. God, whatever you say. So if you get nominated, I want you just to consider being a servant of the Lord and actually being trained. Um, you know, it's okay if we have more people trained for leadership than there are spots. Uh, but it's only going to help our church to raise up a new generation of leadership and to develop elders to think spiritually and grow more and more as a body. Uh, friends, God's going to do some great things in our church. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray for the new elders and deacons that you would raise up many strong people who love your word and have high character. And so, Lord, we pray for them that you would bless them now and bless uh, the nomination process. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.